Guess what, ghouls and goblins? The Spook Boys have officially joined Patreon. That's right, baby. The show as you know it will remain the same, ad-free, but our patrons will have exclusive access to bonus content. Interviews, franchise deep dives, even horror television. Wait, did you say television? You heard right, Sally. Becoming a patron means you're not only helping us keep the show running, but that it also remains available on all platforms, and again, ad-free. For more details, head on over to patreon.com, where you can become an official member of the Spoop Troop today. Son of a bitch, I'm in podcast jail, and I only get one chance to record. You think I want to waste it talking to some goddamn fucking machine? Welcome to another episode of... Oh, there you are, you asshole. (laughs) Welcome to another episode of Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast, hosted by me, your movie monster boy, Aaron, and my cowardly co-host, Derek. And the movie monster boy, Aaron, is full of the COVID today. Oh yeah, finally fucking bit me. I'm going to turn into a fucking chud. In which we dissect the fears, phobias, and social relevancy of horror movies across all ages and subgenres, as well as discuss just how scary they are for horror newbies and horror junkies alike. And yes, we are all getting down with the sickness. We are going to be discussing Chud from 1984, directed by Douglas Cheek, cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller. To discuss this fucking wild movie, we have James back on again, and this was your pick. Yeah, so uh, I'm curious to know what drove that at the end of the day, because this is not a movie that I would figure anybody would pick. I figured this would be one that I would have to dig out and be like, Derek, please. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, James, welcome back. How are you? I am good, good sirs. How about yourselves? Other than the uh, bug that you got here. (laughs) So I thought for sure james we would get you back on once again for italian horror but we'll have to wait on that again so it was surprising that you picked this one kind of peel back to a earlier episode it was fairly recent we just did our christmas episode with uh, katie o'hagan the uh, mocap actress extraordinaire uh, who's in resident evil 7 and village as mia I picked Chud actually as a recommendation because I had watched it on a whim, but it is kind of fun that we're turning this into a full episode. Um, I think this movie definitely warrants an entire discussion. Oh, yeah. But yeah, thanks for picking this one, James. We do need to get on that Italian horror train again with you sooner or later. We'll figure something out. Movie takes place in New York. There's a lot of pizza, Italian, you know. Hey, we'll count that. <laughs> Look, there's also a lot of just Euro trash horror that we have not even started dipping our toes in yet. And that I know is also like right up your alley. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of that stuff that I'm very excited to dig into. I will take the reins of the Euro trash horror. I, I'll do that because there's certainly <laughs> a lot of it. There's certainly a whole lot of 
avenues of urosity, if you will, with horror. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, one day that we were at our previous work discussing movies, and I just remember after a long pause, you just turned to me and you were like, you ever heard of this movie? It's a German movie called Violent Shit. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, wait, what? Yeah. So yeah, that's the great shit that uh, you bring to the show that I love. So definitely we're going to have a good time talking about this. As a side note, there is just a Violent Shit franchise. Yes, I, I, exactly. There are multiple Violent Shit movies. And they are Violent Shit, no pun intended, pardon the double entendre. That is a wild corner that I am still just kind of dipping my toes into which i'll get to in a second are they the type of movies that we talked about with john brennan a little bit yeah Yeah. we were kind of talking about that beforehand (laughs) it's definitely that no budget sov kind of stuff yeah i was wondering because it sounds like some sov shit cool well yeah that is a good segue into our recommendations where we're going to discuss other horror movies tv shows books music video games etc that we have been munching on in the last little bit here and we want to discuss with you our audience so james you are the guest uh what have you been getting into lately a little bit of everything recently i I saw cocaine bear the other day okay (laughs) how was that (laughs) yeah cocaine bear is a it's a fun movie does not take itself too seriously which is awesome it's entertaining i will say that okay <laughs> but it doesn't like overstay its own welcome because like I, that was one of my fears when watching the trailers was almost being like lol look how funny i am i'm a movie literally called cocaine bear about a bear who takes cocaine and kills people i thought it'd be like maybe take the joke too far to where it's just not funny and it's a bad movie but i'm glad that you're saying it's entertaining yeah it's Definitely one of those, it doesn't get drawn out. There are little moments like that, but they're passable. It's nothing there. It's like, I'm walking out pissed off that I saw it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The other movie I've watched recently was The Outwaters, which is what has been billed as the Blair Witch of our generation, or of this generation, rather. Yeah. You're the second guest to bring this up, so I'm curious to hear what you say. It's a trippy fucking movie. It will be very polarizing. Sure. You take what you take from it, because it's one of those things where it's like, okay, we're going, we're going, and it just goes from zero to 3,000 in one moment and then from there it's a fucking twisty turny roller coaster so it's one of those things where you have to sit there to a degree it can be kind of abstract because you're just sitting there going well what what am i really watching what's going on yeah how i interpreted it is how i interpreted it not to give spoilers out but it's something i think everyone who is into horror should give a try to see what you think see what it's all about and then go from there so yeah that was one of the ones that i've seen finally though i watched a part of it before i finally fully broke down and watched terrifier 2 okay interesting okay that is about exactly what you think you're gonna see (laughs) so did you figure out what you're dressing up as tomorrow He wants to dress up as a real guy who murdered nine people last year. Oh, you're not doing that. That's just a costume. You think that guy's still out there? What's up with you and this clown all of a sudden? You're like obsessed. They never found his body. What if he decides to come back here? 
I wouldn't worry about it. Wait a minute, aren't you that guy from the costume shop? Sir, what are you doing? It wasn't me. He was covered in blood on his shirt and his hands when he got here. I'm telling you it was him, Ellie. Right down to the little black dot on the tip of his nose. You're really weird, you know that? If you've seen the first Terrifier, well, shit's gonna go to the next level. It's gonna be one of those things where you're like, oh, well, this is happening, and you're like, oh, well, what the fuck? And you're like, uh, hardcore cringe moments. But, uh, yeah, those are the three that I've knocked out. Overall, James, are you a fan of the Terrifier movies? Because they have a pretty rabid, like, at least Twitter horror fan base from what I see. People really fucking love it. It's exploded with this second movie for sure. I think it's partly just because there was already enough of a fan base from the characters' appearances in All Hallows' Eve and then the first Terrifier movie. And then with the second one actually going theatrical, it just seems like a lot of regular mainstream horror crowd actually went and saw it and just word of mouth spread. And now, like, it's kind of this new thing. But what are your thoughts in general, I guess? Because I keep wanting to discuss it on the show and every time that i bring it up i end up kind of let's just say editing my thoughts out so how do you feel about that series i guess so the best way i can describe it without going into hours of painful philosophical horror discussion (laughs) to say that like you said aaron i came across it through all hallows eve yeah the idea of the character of art the clown at first i'm like okay just random clown killer okay cool we're into this clown phase great the character of art is fucking terrifying character if you actually really put him into realistic context sure but at the same time it's one of those things again you watch it it's batshit the first terrifier was batshit terrifier 2 was batshit with x-lax not to get into hardcore bathroom humor, but it's one of those things where you're going to watch it and that one group, like you said, they're going to see it in the beginning from All Hallows Eve through the first Terrifier because, oh, hey, yeah, you know, we're horror fans. We're going to learn about this. But Terrifier 2 jumped it up a lot. It's weird because I, I don't know the best way to describe it other than to compare it to a Rob Zombie film. You have this idea of what's going on and everything, but it's broken through the lens of a guy, and I haven't really read a lot about Damien Leone, but he's hardcore punching you in the gut with a lot of stuff. Sure. You're just going to look at it and either you take it in or you don't take it in. I took it in, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, there's a couple of what the fuck moments even for me. It's one of those things where I try to tell people, again, kind of like the Outwaters, watch it and see what you think. Yeah. Either you're going to be like, oh, dude, yeah, this was awesome. Or you're going to be like, what the fuck did I just watch? Why is this happening like this? Why is all of this off the wall, insane, random shit happening, but it makes sense for the movie? So all in all, I will say I like them, but I'm also aware of the fact, and not to use another term, but I have empathy for the fact that if someone were to watch it, they'd be like, well, this was really just too much. Fuck me. (laughs) That's the only way I could really say it. (laughs) Like I mentioned, I've been dancing around this for a long time, and I discussed it a little while back, and I ended up cutting my comments on it. I think part of it is just I've needed a little bit more time to sit with it and really kind of 
figure out how I feel about the series as a whole and look at what are people actually responding to in this movie. And I think even, frankly, for my recommendation, I might even touch on this a little bit, but I think the character's cool. It's a cool, interesting design that's a little bit different from things that we've seen before. It's not just Pennywise 2.0. Right. Correct, yeah. But I think where it just kind of wears thin on me is there's nothing more to the gimmick than what you see on the surface. Right. It's just smile weirdly and stare, pull a fucking homemade weapon out of a bag, and then, like, start running and chasing. You know, there's not a whole lot of anything more to the gimmick. I think what has been more interesting to me, as a horror fan, as somebody who's interested in filmmaking, it has been interesting to watch Damien Leone's progression as a filmmaker. I will give it that. You can see how he makes such huge leaps from All Hallows' Eve to the first Terrifier to Terrifier 2. You know, the other big thing is he also does all the visual effects and makeup for these movies as well. He is a makeup effects artist. That's impressive. I didn't know that. And that is easily the biggest standout feature of these movies. They are visceral. They are super gory. They are super gross. There is wild shit in them that you're not going to see in anything else. I think where I stop responding is they are all largely devoid of a main narrative anything right (laughs) the second movie is where they finally kind of inject hey there's this whole backstory of this family the dad went a wall presumed dead there was like a house fire the kids are fucked up from this you know this teenage girl who's into like cosplay stuff is building her halloween costume and the mom is dealing with the son who might be kind of a budding problematic behavior let's just say teenage boy so you know they actually tried to inject some character stuff into this now where i think the second movie runs into problems is it's fucking two hours and 15 minutes long yeah and it's kind of like oh i had this entire 90 minute movie of terrifier 2 but oh by the way the big criticism is there's never any story so let me write 45 minutes worth of story and just throw it on top rather than just starting from the standpoint of do i have a story to tell at all right you know and kind I put Art the Clown in that story. Again, I think it is interesting to see how he has progressed as a filmmaker. They look better as they go along, which isn't saying much. I think they look fine, um, but they look uh, about as good as any other Redbox horror movie you're going to come across. Which, again, they're working with a small budget, so I have to temper my reaction and my expectation to that because there are lots of filmmakers who have certainly worked with way more and gotten shittier results. He is largely using very, very indie, you know, unknown actors to varying degrees of success. I think the cast in the second movie is maybe the best that he's had so far, but largely it's very, let's just say, late night Skinamax on one end to like the most red box nonsense drama lifetime movie on the other end of the spectrum like that's kind of what you're getting in his movies as far as acting quality is concerned yeah that's spot on (laughs) (laughs) and i think 
where I'm struggling, this is part of the reason why I keep cutting out my thoughts on this fucking movie as we have gone on, because I watched this months ago. I think I just struggle with what is everybody seeing out of this movie otherwise, because to me, this is just an insanely mean-spirited series that is very fixated on violence towards women earlier movies specifically i mean the second movie obviously is like well now we have a badass girl main character in this one see we're not completely terrible toward women um meanwhile like one of the most vile fucking things you'll ever see in your life is in the first movie you know i don't know like all that stuff is kind of odd you know the art the clown character doesn't have the same level of unknowingness i guess is like a michael myers or a jason or something like that I I don't know. There's something about that character that you never feel like he is doing any of this for a purpose. And maybe that is just the whole purpose of making him a clown. But it just gets kind of tiresome after a while. You know, like I said, I appreciate that you can see him level up as a filmmaker from each movie. And there is some wild, impressive technical special effects and makeup stuff in the second movie. On the other hand, there's only so many times that you can see him like crush a fake dummy skull full of jello with a baseball bat over and over and over. There's only so many times that you can see the same kinds of shit just happen over and over and over and the segments just go on for way too long. Anyway, yeah, I don't I don't know. Like sorry to take so long, but At the end of the day, like I said, I keep cutting my thoughts on this movie. And I guess since you were bringing it up, like this would be a good time for us just to get it out of the way and be done with it. So, and that's the crazy thing too, is I think we would both recommend it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's the funny thing. Yeah. Yeah, Like with the caveat of no going into it, it's extremely long. The acting's not great. The story is paper thin, but you're going to see some wild shit. (laughs) You're going to see some violent shit. Yeah. If that's your bag then fine, enjoy that. That's just not, I need more than that from a movie. I, I need more than just that. And and I, I know I've given you so much shit about this, Aaron, but like it is just fascinating to me to see X and now Terrifier 2, these two movies that not just from the horror community I've seen on Twitter, like critically just darlings, horror darlings, and everyone's just like universally praising them. But then like when I actually talked to you about it, it didn't work for you in these ways because you our our tastes usually align, Aaron. So I just I kind of find that whole discourse fascinating. Um and it makes me wonder how I would react um if and whenever I get around to watching those movies. I think that every point you made on that, it literally lines up. I kind of classify it as again, not to get ultra philosophical, but there was that period where we had what I call saw on saw ad if you will it's like okay well we're gonna have a story but we need to just put ample amounts of bone breaking fucking brain splattering just gore porn to a degree you know and i don't know if this is a better comparison james from what i i've seen the discourse around like terrifier series has been eerily similar to the discourse of the hostile movies when those came out yeah what are these movies trying to say or are they trying to say anything but yet horror fans fucking love them for these reasons and i think that honestly we're getting to a point where because of being such a hardcore horror genre 
I, I like to tell people, you watch it and tell me what you think versus yeah. me saying this is a pile of crap. There's going to be the issues that I have with it. There's going to be the issues that the recommended viewer might have with it. But please, you watch it. Let me know what you think. Because, Derek, you were talking about X in that regard. I put X at a significantly higher category. Yeah. <laughs> because I was like, okay, I see what we're doing here. Yeah. I brought up X just because, like, that's the other huge movie from last year that Aaron was kind of lukewarm on. I wanted more out of that movie. And I think I, <laughs> I wasn't as over the moon about it as a lot of the horror community was as a whole. For a movie that is supposed to be about making an exploitation movie, I don't think it's exploitation enough. I, I had to give Aaron shit about it, so <laughs> that's why I brought it up. But yeah, I mean, there is a huge jump between X and this, yeah. yeah. I mean, even comparing the sequels or the prequel in regards to X, to me, Pearl added a lot more definition to X than Terrifier 2 added to <laughs> Terrifier. Agree. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, I, I always would be like, just go watch it see what you think yeah and that's a good that's a good way of saying it and i think the only other thing and it's a comic also based on a film i've gotten into the silent night deadly night comic me too and it's literally a sequel to the original yes. silent night deadly night that's what i love about it <laughs> yeah. yes i actually kickstarted the first issue they had a kickstarter going on a while back but yeah, I'll, I'll let you take over. Go ahead, James. Yeah, I'm rating it too. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It, they've taken that cue of, hey, let's just restart this as a direct sequel from the first movie. Mm -hmm. Which, cool, we can X out Garbage Day, finally. <laughs> I actually have the first two issues right now, and I've just gotten into reading the first issue. And that's when I was like, oh, shit, this is a good direct sequel to the original film. Yeah, and it's going in some wild directions, too. Oh, yeah. From what I've gotten thus far, it's pretty pretty there. So, yeah, yeah. as far as the comic is concerned, that is going to be my hard recommendation right now. The thing I really appreciate about it is how many characters it brings back from the original movie. Yeah. Basically, anyone who's still alive is, like, back into this comic. Yeah. But, yeah, I enjoyed the first issue. I also have the second issue. So, I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, it's fun. You could tell that the people who are making it this is without me googling or anything i can't remember if the original screenwriter or one of the screenwriters or somebody who's involved with the original movie is involved in this project or not but whoever's writing it is definitely has a passion for the first movie because you can tell just through the first issue oh yeah like, definitely which is funny because i went through my annual let me watch silent night deadly night thing this past christmas and i was like oh yeah now you want to talk about a mean-spirited movie that actually works <laughs> yeah that's for sure one that movie uh man like i was surprised at how mean-spirited <laughs> <laughs> it was when we covered it like when i watched it for the first time yeah and yep that was pretty much all the stuff that i've been uh popping off hell yeah cool derek what have you got for us i'll bring up two things one's really a tv episode specifically and the other is a movie which i think all three of us will talk about i'll start off with the tv episode aaron you were the one who told me to dig into this and find it i did and had a blast it is the first episode of this series and i think the series only ran for one season too the series is nightmares and dreamscapes from the stories of stephen king oh wow i forgot about that yeah the first episode it's on battleground the short story about like this assassin who goes and kills a toy maker and then comes back to his apartment and there's a package from that toy company mysteriously as door and it's filled with army men and the army men turn out to be real and start attacking him i guess revenge for killing this toy maker 
I want to recommend this episode specifically because it's awesome. And William Hurt plays the assassin and it is a wordless performance. I don't think there's a single line uttered in this entire episode. It's all just grunts and shouts and shit. And it's like 53 minutes long and it kept me engaged the entire time. William Hurt, his physical acting in this is so good. The episode starts obviously with him like infiltrating this toy factory, killing this toy maker. It follows kind of the short story like relatively to a T. The short story came out two decades prior or something. So there is some like stuff they had to fudge because this episode came out in like 2006. So like he has a flip phone and shit like that. But otherwise, it's pretty much true to the source material. And it's just a ton of fun. Yeah. It's like TV movie level for 2006. Some of the effects of like when the army men are like flying the helicopter at him or something are like obviously dated. It all looks pretty good, though. All things considered. Especially for like a TV show in 2006. Yeah. The real thing, too, I think part of why it looks so good is it was directed by Brian Henson. Yeah. Jim Henson's son, famous puppeteer from the Henson family and Henson Company. And it has me interested to like check out the rest of this series. I haven't watched any of the other episodes. Let me know what you think, because uh, I was not very impressed. Hence the reason I haven't really <laughs> after the first up a whole lot. Uh, but I've been trying to watch them as I've been getting to those Stephen King short stories. That's a bummer. I guess it makes sense with this being the very first episode. Battleground is by far the best one. Yeah, yeah, it fucking rules. And like William Hurt's performance is great in this he goes from menacing as fuck hitman to like dude in peril like getting shot at by these little military toys to like fucking badass fighting back it's a lot of fun yeah and like you said because there's no dialogue it's a stellar example of just visual storytelling everything relies on the editing and the camera work to like guide you through what's happening very very fun yeah yeah so i i thoroughly enjoyed that i don't know if it's anywhere like on streaming there were like two or three people who have uploaded this entire episode on youtube yeah one of them like is pretty good quality and uh, i watched that one yeah so if you can get your hands on uh, at least this first episode of the show nightmares of dreamscapes from the stories of stephen king and the episode is again battleground check that out had a ton of fun with it now the movie i want to bring up and this is one i think all three of us could talk about and aaron you and i have a disagreement about this movie because after i watched it i fully think this is a capital h horror movie and i watched the director's cut which was two hours and 20 plus minutes I watched The Lawnmower Man from 1992, directed by Brett Leonard. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Job Smith is The Lawnmower Man. A man. Joe! Come on, boy, let's go. Grass is waiting for you. With the mind of a child. Yeah, Cybo Man. He came to see me. Cybo Man. Comics, right? Yeah, Cybo Man. (laughs) And a doctor. Virtual reality holds a key to the evolution of the human mind. With a vision of the future. I have a game in my house that you might like to play. Would you like that? Yeah. Okay. That was really bad. I have different games. I even have one that could help make you smarter. Now, Job Smith is about to enter the world of virtual reality. Ah, it's gonna hit no, me! No, no, Job, just relax. It's gonna be like being up there with the stars, Job. They're going to another planet. His mind is like a clean, hungry sponge. I just graduated to the next level, Job. <laughs> You're not the one, man. 
you've certainly changed. I don't know how you did it, but I approve. You absorbed Latin yesterday in less than two hours. A world where the normal course of events can suddenly turn inside out. You realize, Dr. Angelo, that my intelligence has surpassed yours. The imaginary becomes real. Trying to get inside my head, Joe. You can't hide anything from me, Dr. Angelo. And reality... We have no idea what he's going to do. ...is all in your mind. The Lawnmower Man. So this movie is a mess. This movie <laughs> is fucking all over the place. This movie has the most ridiculous takes on what is virtual reality, becoming like a psychic badass just by going into virtual reality. It has the most wild shit with animals in the first 30 minutes I've ever seen. Yeah, I love how you messaged me and you were like, how the fuck did you not tell me this movie starts with a, chimp. a like lab chimp in like full fucking VR gear looking like Wolverine escaping from Weapon X. <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> shooting motherfuckers. Shooting guards and escaping and then running into the open arms of Jeff Fahey with a fucking bowl cut and overalls doing his best simple Jack impression. Yeah. This movie is the best. This movie... Um, I, I can understand why people call this bad movie. I had a fucking blast with this movie. <laughs> like You can understand why Stephen King literally sued the production to get his name taken off of it. Because <laughs> yes. it has nothing to do with the short story he wrote. Not at all. It has absolutely nothing to do with the short story. The only connections I could find is that the shop, the evil corporation in this movie, is from yeah. Firestarter and the Tommyknockers. Yeah. They're referenced in other Stephen King material. But otherwise, it has fucking nothing to do with the actual short story, The Lawnmower Man from 1975 that he wrote. There's a lawnmower. Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> with an earring so everything about this movie is a mess but it is a beautiful mess it's an ambitious mess it is early 90s tm extreme radness that i i fucking dig i do think this is a legitimate horror film i i don't think it's just a sci-fi movie i think it is a science fiction horror movie the stuff that happens especially in the last half once jeff a he's character like fully embraces becoming like this god complex some of the shit he does is full-blown slasher territory horror movie territory it's not a scary movie if anything it's a very fucking weird head trip movie at certain points but it is not very scary there's weird moments of like references to occult symbols the first yeah. mind thing that he does is flashing like all these occult symbols at the him first time he goes into the internet yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so this is what i loved about lawnmower man is that and this was such a thing that we caught the tail end of aaron because i think we were too young to really appreciate i loved the early 90s mid 90s idea of what virtual reality actually is and i loved the hopefulness that this is going to take us into like cyberpunk but without any of the grime of a cyberpunk city it's going to take us into cyberpunk utopia virtual reality is going to be like this weird head acid trip windows 95 screensaver world that's going to bring the world to peace like i love that idea of early 90s idea of vr which is hilarious because literally everything you just described is essentially the plot of the second movie yeah i know i've read about the second movie but i miss that idea of vr not like what vr is now today where like vr is now readily available and most people kind of don't care. Some people just kind of get sick and like motion sickness when they're using VR now. Like the games 
are neat in VR. Like none of them are really anywhere still as fun to play as normal video games. It always just boils down to everybody getting bored with the fucking games that are available and then just using it for porn. That's all it boils down to. Well, and then like meta is like be meta is trying to be what Lawnmower Man was espousing as this could be the potential of reaching human levels of peace and prosperity and and everyone's just dunking on meta because it's fucking weird ass zuckerberg project (laughs) that like is not working well also because i think we're all just so cynical now it's oh so shadowy corporation is telling us this is the next big thing that we all need to get on and this is the way forward for the future yeah cool we all totally trust that mark zuckerberg sure sounds good i think that's like the other part of it is we've all had 30 40 years worth of movies now that are basically all parables about how the technology is also ultimately bad and you should distrust whatever company is trying to create it too you know so i think there's definitely like societally a strain of that as much as and james can tell you too man those fucking oculus headsets sell like fucking hotcakes like crack especially when they're on sale it's it's crazy i don't get the appeal of it maybe i'm too old but it's also one of those things where like i think people just don't fully embrace the corporate propaganda about how it's gonna like push us to the next era you know there's some distrust there yeah so that's what i like about this movie because it also addresses shady corporation just wanting to use this technology for evil and the best. and military yeah. but at the same time it still has this like look at vr it's such like beautiful new technology we can use again i miss that jank ass windows 95 early windows era level graphics they're touting this as like the next stage of evolution i love that hopefulness that was with this janky ass graphics the second thing though that i i found fascinating with this movie is watching in the modern lens because this is like something i've kind of been going back and forth with because unfortunately with me running our socials even in with me filtering as much as possible like twitter and everything just focusing on horror like i still see so much toxic horse shit out there and like I, i've been kind of going back and forth how do you engage with people who have a distrust of certain things who, who push conspiracy theories when like in some ways i agree with them like for instance yes i think big pharma is evil i think everyone can agree big pharma is evil but i think big pharma is evil in the way of here take this vaccine we're going to upcharge you three thousand percent of what it's actually worth and we want you to live longer so we can milk you for every like yeah scent that you're worth or you're still alive yeah. yeah greed as opposed to like here takes us this vaccine it's going to give you a super cancer and make you only vote for democratic candidates and it's going to make you embrace the woke agenda so it's like i we can agree that we both think this thing is evil but like i think they're evil because of just capitalistic greed and you think they're evil because like you subscribe to q theory (laughs) there's an occam's razor bell curve to this that i think is just one-sided yeah (laughs) yeah and and, like that's what i kind of found myself going towards with lawnmower man because like that's ultimately like what's going on with this company is like yeah of course we shouldn't trust this company to do the right thing with the technology that pierce brosnan's character is developing virtual reality and i guess enhancing and unlocking all the secrets of your brain dot 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 well i didn't really know what his like end goal was with this technology beyond like i guess let's embrace the next stage of evolution but yeah of course like we can't trust this company to do the right thing they're just gonna militarize it 
And something I did kind of read was that this movie actually was, at least the screenplay, was kind of also based off of an original screenplay entitled Cyber God. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Before they took the Cyber God screenplay and tried to mix it with Stephen King's Lawnmower Man. But I get that, like, going back to, like, the horror of it, um, because, again, I think that's what's important here. I think Jeff Fahey's character and, like, his kind of evolution and descent into madness and what he does when he has fully become, like, I am going to be the virtual reality Christ-like figure, I think all of that is just straight up horror movie TM. James, like, what do you think about this? Because Aaron and I have a disagreement. Aaron thinks this is more just hard sci-fi with horror elements, whereas I think this is straight up a sci-fi horror movie. Like, in my opinion, if we call Scanners a horror movie, this is a horror movie. Yeah, it's like you said, because you witness Job going from happy-go-lucky, but, you know, he's a simple guy, but then when he gets this, for lack of a better word, infection and greed for power once everything kicks in, then... And he does become essentially this monster. Yeah. In thinking about it, I've always looked at it as being, holy shit, let's look at the horrors, if you will, no pun intended, of technology and of enhancement. And that's basically what the story is. So on the other side, you have, okay, well, there's this company who's trying to do their little goods for it. You have the doctor, pre-bond Brosnan, trying to help this guy, but then also trying to forward his agenda. And then at the end of the day, you create basically a monster. And that yeah. monster has the capacity yeah. to destroy a lot of shit. Well, and, and like when you have towards the end when he's literally atomizing dudes oh, that yeah. are coming after him. And granted, it looks goofy as fuck because it's all done in the 1992 <laughs> windows. Atomizing, a.k.a. turning them into, like, floating, colorful ping-pong balls. Yeah. 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 But the idea of what he is doing is terrifying. And, like, when Angelo confronts him in virtual reality, and, like, they're both in their, like, early 90s virtual reality graphics fight, and he crucifies Dr. Angelo. Oh, yeah. yeah. And again, there's that weird juxtaposition of religion with him being a child of the church and growing up with this priest who took care of him. And I think there's a really interesting scene when he comes back when he's fully evil and he basically has come to kill the priest. The priest starts praying for forgiveness and like is trying to confess to like get him to stop him from killing him. And he mentions molestation. And it's interesting that back in 1992, the movie like addresses that. It's never outright shown or even really implied too much beyond the scene. He abuses Job, obviously, like before Job becomes intelligent or like hyper intelligent or whatever you want to call him in this movie. He abuses him physically, but like it's never stated that there's any kind of sexual thing involved. But then like I thought that was an interesting choice of word from the priest when he's like confessing all these sins. Like I have done molestation or something is what he says. That was way before all the shit with the Catholic Church or church right. in churches in general of all the sexual abuse with children was really out in the limelight. So I thought that was a fascinating like aspect of this movie that I didn't see coming. Granted, the director's cut is really fucking long. Again, it is two hours and 22 minutes. And I do think you should watch the director's cut because it explains so much. But at the same time, there's so many scenes. I don't know how many times I could take Pierce Brosnan depressed fucking <laughs> slamming whiskey and talking yeah. into his computer, giving another journal entry about how depressed he is and like how things are going wrong at the shop and like how uh, Job is getting away from him and blah, blah, blah. Some of the other wild shit, again, like going back to the whole opening with the chimpanzee running around with a gun <laughs> like in full <laughs> VR. The scene where I, I texted you, Aaron, that made me laugh out loud. 
the VR whole setup is you go into like a gyrosphere, like your whole body goes into a gyrosphere. It's like rotated all around. And you're going upside down. They show the monkey in the full <laughs> gyrosphere get up doing it. And it made me laugh so much because it was so much animal abuse. I know they're not using a real monkey in that shot, obviously. But like the idea of that is, yeah, the shop, of course, is this is super fucked up animal abuse. That was wild. The whole like when he really like, I think the, the heel turn comes when he like the girl he's been seeing, Job, that is like takes her to have cyber sex and then basically like mind fucks her into like just oblivion lobotomizes her in virtual reality and that's a whole other thing along with the whole aspect of the 90s idea of what is vr it seemed like this movie was making up the rules as i went and i kind of fucking love that even though it is a mess vr can unlock your psychic powers now okay yeah Yeah. it's good shit so Two things. One, I need both of y'all to do me this favor. James, you might have seen this already. I mentioned it a few episodes back as something that I recommended. So, Brett Leonard, after this movie, directed Hideaway, which is fucking uh, Jeremy Sisto as a a occult-obsessed serial killer, murders his whole family, shatters his fucking soul in hell. At the same exact time, Jeff Goldblum and his family are like in a car accident. Jeff Goldblum ends up getting resuscitated two hours after he's clinically dead in some experimental crazy surgery with a piece of Jeremy Sisto's soul back in him. Not not to like, again, we're retraining ground because you brought up that movie with the last episode James yeah. was on, actually. Oh, that, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah, because that was the one where it was, I remember saying that it was hard to find, but I had a digital copy of it. Yeah. Which I still do. And what's wild is like that. That is on streaming now. You can find it fairly easily. And I would bet it's probably going to come to Blu-ray fairly soon. And think about like that run that Brent Leonard had, though, like in the 90s with The Lawnmower Man. Then he goes to Hideaway, which uh, you've also told me, Aaron, like not only is dealing with weird religious shit like Lawnmower Man, but also has weird graphical moments like when they're dead and their souls. And then he goes into fucking Virtuosity, which is yet another like experiment in like early 90s VR shit. So it's weird that like he had... And I don't know, I haven't seen Virtuosity in fucking forever, so I don't remember if there's any religious angle on that. But like, it seems like those three are like the trifecta of VR and religious weirdness. Like, Which yeah. is funny because um, the hardly mentioned Brett Leonard movie, The Dead Pit, is uh, a gem. <laughs> that movie's fucking ludicrous. <laughs> I finally watched that a while back as well and did not realize that it was fucking Brett Leonard until way after the fact connecting those dots. Yeah, that movie is also really weird and just nonsense. The second thing I was going to mention, I want to do just a trash cyberpunk sci-fi film fest. And I know this, again, is a horror podcast. This is where Derek, you and I were like back and forth on like, is Lawnmower Man horror? Is it sci-fi? After we're talking about this, yeah, I think I agree with you. It leans more into horror ultimately because it does just become a fucking slasher movie. And I would even argue not only is it horror, I think it's a movie that is worth actually having a full episode on down the line. Probably so, yeah. I would fucking program a film festival that is just Lawnmower Man, Hardware, Highlander 2, which that makes sense if you've seen Highlander 2, because it is nothing like the first movie whatsoever. Johnny Mnemonic 
and then probably end the entire fucking thing with either Tetsuo the Iron Man, just to have like something good at the very end there, or maybe even like Dark City. Give me that stretch of weird, or oh, oh, and throw fucking Demolition Man in there somewhere just for shits and giggles. And maybe even like the weird fucking Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh, I mean, that is a weird ass like cyberpunk movie. <laughs> All of that shit, that whole entire aesthetic from the late 80s, early 90s of just trash cans on fire. Everybody is wearing duster jackets. Everything is fucking dirty. There is some low class element of we don't do technology. We're the regular people. And then shady corporations. Yeah. Because I still haven't watched it yet because I'm trying to like slow my roll on Carpenter so I can like fully digest it all as I take it. But I have a sneaky suspicion Escape from LA is kind of like that. Would that also fit in that? I would say no. No. Really? Okay. Escape from LA is kind of its own weird thing. Okay, I thought there would be like some weird cyberpunk angle in Escape from LA. Not really. That's the crazy thing. It's definitely more post-apocalypse America, everything is crumbling and on fire, but it's not cyberpunky. There's no element of VR or the internet or cybernetics or anything like that. Before we like leave behind Lawnmower Man, I pulled up Brent Leonard and I was just like looking through his movies. I saw this little tidbit that I thought was interesting. This is directly off of his Wikipedia article, Brent Leonard's Wikipedia article. The Lawnmower Man is considered the first seminal film to feature quote unquote virtual reality as a cautionary tale, becoming the number one commercially successful independent film in 1992, budgeted at just under six million and eventually earning over 150 million worldwide. For some reason, I thought this movie was a fucking bust and has later on become a cult classic. No, it made money. I didn't realize it was that successful yeah. when it came out. Yeah, it made money. Which is wild because is the sequel basically like a direct-to-video quality? Yeah, apologies for not fully remembering every aspect of the story, but I distinctly remember almost going and seeing that in the theater. No, I mean, you're right. I'm looking at uh, La Marian 2 and it had a $50 million budget was distributed by new line so like it was a box office bust but the first one wasn't yeah that is interesting the direction the lawnmower man 2 goes in because the lawnmower man yes it it becomes a horror movie but like where it ends it does feel like this is the prequel to a new cyberpunk world that's about to take the place of the world we're in now that's the way it kind of ends and so i i find that interesting that this is almost like a pre-cyberpunk movie in many ways but yeah i a thousand percent understand all the problems this movie has i a thousand percent understand why stephen king wouldn't want his name removed fucking off this movie like completely but i think it is definitely worth a watch i had a blast with it this is one of the best ambitious mess movies i think i've ever seen it is up there now as one of my own personal favorite movies as someone who just loves odd duck weird shit like this and like that's the thing like even though pierce brosnan is in this pre-bond in a role that doesn't make that much sense for him he was fucking great in this movie jeff fahey was a lot of fun to watch in this movie going from simple jack to like i'm gonna become vr jesus christ now like it was it was fun to watch him go through that change jeff fahey was dynamic as fuck (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah he had a wild couple of years there too where he was doing like that and fucking uh body parts what psycho movie was he in psycho three or psycho four three yeah, yeah he was in three. yeah and like it was fun to watch dean norris appear as the shady director of the shop in this movie oh before. fuck i forgot he was yeah. On. <laughs> <laughs> yeah way before breaking bad and he's doing like some fucking weird accent as well yeah. yes 
Angelos, like Aubrey and types, erratic. But we tolerate them here at the shop as long as they perform. And Angelo has certainly done that. Project 5 is very impressive. It doesn't work whatsoever. The movie like zooms up on his teeth and like mouth a lot. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed this movie. And frankly, if this is a movie that you ever care to own, Scream Factory has a collector's edition of it that has both cuts of the movie that you can pick up for pretty fucking cheap. I would bet too, knowing how they're going through and redoing all their catalog into 4K, it's probably going to have a 4K release probably in the next two years as well. I don't really pick up physical media for movies very often. Honestly, this might be one that I, I pick up. <laughs> this is such a weird fucking movie that I absolutely adored watching that I might have to own this physically. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's ludicrous. Just even that picture that they obviously used for like marketing of just Jeff Fahey and Pierce Brosnan in the full like Tron VR suits. I love that. I didn't even get into like the VR suits looking like Tron. I didn't even get into like when they're inside the actual shady corporation office building. The lighting is absolutely insane that like it makes no sense that anyone would actually work in there it looks like a super villain's lair it's 90s club lighting yes (laughs) i remember the last time i watched it it was years and years ago yeah looking at it from an adult lens i was like this shit looks like a rave (laughs) yeah and to that point i think that is the only serious detractor that I will give Lawnmower Man is that it does not have a fucking 90s grunge ass industrial goth rock right. soundtrack. It needed something like that. Yeah, it needed early Nine Inch Nails or something. Like there were bits and pieces of that a little bit, but nothing like the soundtrack itself. Give me even just that weird, dark ass 90s techno shit, too. Like, and the soundtrack was not that noticeable. Otherwise, everything about this movie I was I was in for. Well, Hideaway has an excellent 90s just butt rock soundtrack yeah. of just industrial goth horse shit. Honestly, I think I'm going to go watch Hideaway now just because I loved Lawnmower Man so much. I kind of want to see what the follow-up is and the fact that it has weird, goofy-ass 1990s weird Windows 95 screensaver graphics. I'm all for it. By the way... The Lawnmower Man is everywhere, including Tubi, for free. FYI. <laughs> yes. Just gonna throw that in there. Even that super fucking long director's cut. Yep. Yes. The director's cut and the regular, like, theatrical cut are both on Tubi. <laughs> yes. Cool. Well, uh, let me hop in and, uh, throw my recommendation out real quick and this will be maybe a good segue into the movie so i checked out a documentary that came out in 2020 vinegar syndrome has this out on blu-ray it is available on tubi so you can check it out for free so this is going to harken back to the episode that we did with john brennan on sov shot on video no budget low budget what the fuck am i looking at homegrown horror movies this is also also an acronym perfect for our episode on chud so this is mail order murder the story of wave productions when we first started with wave it was basically going to be a hobby we like things that were exciting chick flicks out i would go in i go what's my makeup budget for this movie gary you got 75 dollars i go well that's not gonna work I think they need to, you know, basically get a camera and just basically just start shooting and have fun with it. He wanted it to be a success. He came up with the idea of, you know, let's see if there are people who want specific films made, specific ways. 
Since a picture is worth a thousand words, why don't you just sit back and watch these clips from custom films we have made in the past. I think my first impression of Wave was probably one of just absolute horror. It, it, it almost wasn't quite fair to kind of review them in the same context as you're reviewing, you know, even a semi-pro film. I mean, these movies are what they are, and they kind of defy criticism. I found myself sitting around afterwards thinking like, man, like, they were really washing that car for a very, very long time. We all took turns being the snake handler and having our hands in this snake puppet, and it was the stupidest thing, but it was just so much fun. There's not a lot of attention to safety. Are you kidding me? There's no safety on a wave set. I really wanted to just make movies that I would want to see. There were more and more people that wrote and said, yes, we like this. I think at first I kind of thought that we were just doing low-budget horror. Later, when we started doing other things like oil wrestling and <laughs> getting pies thrown at us, then you start realizing, okay, there's other stuff going on here. <laughs> there's a lot of very beautiful women that have some very difficult and very traumatic experiences, such as being killed. Some people get addicted to this stuff. Mind-bending, no-budget, low-budget, backyard, shot on video, insanity. Dave, you should be paying us to be in the movies. We shouldn't be paying you. He has the desire, and I think that's what makes you a success. I mean, he couldn't have asked for a better life. So this is directed by William Hellfire and Ross Snyder. It is about a New Jersey homegrown filmmaking group. The main kind of mastermind behind all this, Gary Whitson and a couple of other friends like got together and they basically created this production company where they were just making these little trash horror movies in the 80s that they shot in their fucking backyard and in their neighborhoods with friends and family and everything else. Where it goes off the fucking rails is they changed their entire business model to be this mail order. We're putting ads in Fangoria and Draculina and all these other like horror magazines. And people can essentially mail them a script, a fucking check, and say, hey, make this movie for me. <laughs> fucking wild. Oh, that's, uh... Initially, it starts off with your usual like, oh, here's a slasher script, but it's 15 pages long. Nothing really happens. And it's just people like kind of squirting, you know, corn syrup blood out of their mouth after they get stabbed with a fake knife. Gradually, exactly what you expect to happen starts to happen. You've got all these fucking weirdo guys, clearly men, who are just sending in requests for things like, I want to see a woman who is tied up and then strangled. I want to see one of a woman who's tied up and stabbed. Yeah. I want to see a woman who is being carried unconscious like the creature from the Black Lagoon carries people, but then I want it to be a mummy. I want a whole video that's just feet. I want a whole video that is just women in like pits of quicksand. I want a whole video that is a woman who has the power to shrink people down and then she shrinks them and eats them. <laughs> so a bore movie? Basically. Yes. Yeah. I want a video where Christ. a scientist is cloning women. It is every weird 
fucked up fetish. fetish and like means of aggression toward women and it's just this group of people who are all like oh yeah no like we totally have a blast with this it's hilarious it's so fucking weird yeah we just shot a video where somebody was like i want a video of a woman being cooked and eaten and then they're literally filming a woman with lettuce leaves on her boobs sitting in a giant crawfish pot of water ladling hot water on herself and it's just these strangle monster nine babysitter strangler eight doorway slasher seven like it is just endless these weird fucking custom videos and little by little as the whole thing's going on because they're they're talking about like all the people that got involved with this and there were some actresses like tina kraus and debbie d and pamela such that all actually had some minor crossover into like super low budget no budget horror movies and stuff like that but largely this was just like a weird group of friends that all got together one guy is a fucking lawyer he is like an actual department of defense lawyer or some shit and he like makes these movies on the side and his wife eventually was like you gotta quit you can't fucking do this as a lawyer you can't keep making these fucking weird movies where <laughs> you end up playing some like serial killer weirdo in the woods it's fucking bananas it's interesting to see how it starts off with oh this is all fun we're just having fun there's nothing weird here it's all harmless and little by little over the course of the thing everybody kind of realizes yeah these are a lot of videos of us just murdering women over and over <laughs> and over these yeah. are a lot of videos yeah. of us just like strangling women over and over and over so no one's surprised that weirdos went in that direction yeah these are a lot of just weirdly sexual but not sexual videos it's super fucking interesting to see them you know through the course of this documentary everybody kind of starts breaking down like what the fuck are we doing it's also super interesting and wild and just unbelievable to see how fucking popular and how much money is in this and how many other groups started copying this same exact model you would just go to like these horror conventions and there would be a table set up for wave productions and there would be some guy there that looks like your dad and he just has stacks of fucking weird vhs and burned dvds of you know women being strangled yeah, the same stuff that we talked about john brennan yeah with sov yeah yeah like sov is very much spread underground word of mouth and all that you said that wave productions is based out of new jersey yes right? of course it would be, <laughs> it would be I, my guess is it would be this or florida like one of those yes panhandle oh yeah this is definitely some like jacksonville bullshit <laughs> everybody in this has the biggest 80s mullets the biggest 80s teased up spray hair the most unflattering clothes everybody's costumes and clothing are so fucking weird and it's not just that it's 80s it's that it's shit that doesn't make sense to be wearing at all like that doesn't go together <laughs> it's what you would think underground people making sov movies in vhs's in the 80s would be like oh totally what totally filmmakers would actually look like yeah ragamuffins <laughs> it was hilarious listening to some of the actresses because they were all like oh yeah no we had a great time it was super fun i was just doing modeling at the time and you know these guys were like hey you want to be in a movie and i was like yeah sure and uh you know yeah i gotta show my tits every once in a while but like you know that's fine i just really don't like the quicksand videos because they're just so messy it's just so gross i hate being covered in mud it was wild listening to these people tell their stories i, I haven't dug into it yet but i think that this is all still going 
And I oh, think it is also wow. literally <laughs> like you can pay for a hard copy VHS tape or DVD, you know, even in this digital YouTube, every kind of porn that you would hope for on the internet is actually there now. All the people who were into weird shit like shrinking, eating porn and cannibal porn, all these weird fucking fantasies. Now you can do all that shit and it's just right at your fingertips. I believe this outfit is still going, which is wild. Sure looks like it. Found them. <laughs> found them. <laughs> sure yep. looks like they're still doing. So yeah, this documentary is on Tubi for free. Vinegar Syndrome has it out on Blu-ray. It is Mail Order Murder, the story of Wave Productions. So with that wonderful acronym, that gets us to our movie that we're going to be discussing, which is another fantastic acronym. We are discussing Chud from 1984 Directed by Douglas Cheek. Beneath the city of New York are living catacombs, an endless maze of subterranean tunnels, unfit for anything human, unauthorized for anything experimental, Hold it! Stop moving up ahead in the and unlikely to bring anyone down there. So. Check your basement and your bathroom. Keep off the street and try to hide. But remember, the dark is their place. The night is their time. And tomorrow, the only things living in the city of New York will be Chud. Chud. Cannibalistic. Humanoid underground dwellers. Chud. They're not staying down there anymore. James, this is your choice. We brought up Chud before on on our show relatively recently. Again, just as a recommendation on our our Christmas episode on uh, Anne and the Apocalypse. Let's just go check that out if you want to hear it. We've only talked about it in recommendations. We've never done a full episode, and it's just kind of funny that we did dealer's choice with you and you you wanted to do this one so like why chud uh why did you want to come on and talk about it with us i'm assuming you've seen it before so like why did you want to watch it again now really it goes back to my childhood in a weird way mentioned before from new orleans and we had a late night horror show on saturday morgus magnificent hell yeah always love morgus god rest (laughs) yeah one of the first films i saw on it was well the first one was the stuff then the second one was chud what a double feature that would oh yeah yeah Yeah. it's like shit that comes out of the ground (laughs) that's bad well and this movie also feels so much like all of Larry Cohen's other movies, tonally, the subject matter, social commentary side of it, the low budget New Yorkedness of oh, it. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a perfect double feature. I was about to correct you if you said it felt like the stuff because no, the Chud actually is surprisingly serious movie. The stuff was not, but anyway, but they both feel like they would be like Larry Cohen oh, scripts. I get what right? you meant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what's funny is part of how I got into horror was I used to do the thing where we'd go to the video store back when you know. V- 
VHS was the shit. This is going to get really descriptive. And how I remember this in my 40s, it's surprising. But there's a video store on Reed Boulevard in New Orleans East. It was called Star Video. You just unlocked a memory that I forgot I had. Yes. See, wow. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> I remember seeing the cover. And the cover of the actual video box is a chud looking out of a manhole and at the time i was getting into the cartoon ninja turtles and i was like oh <laughs> this has to be fucking ninja turtle type <laughs> and yeah yeah it came on morgus i watched it and i was like oh this shit ain't ninja turtles so watching it then later on as an adult getting into that whole thing with watching movies with the idea of the old gritty New York and social commentary that comes along with it. It it always stuck in my mind and actually just stayed one of my favorite films in my horror collection for a long ass time. Even going through the process of going, oh, hey, guess what? You know, there's three different versions almost of this movie. Yeah. And there's a sequel that's made that has virtually nothing (laughs) to fucking do with the original and is slapstick comedy at best but the chud <laughs> yeah but the chud yeah i laughed about this i think the first time i watched it but i don't know if i brought this up on the movie poster for chud right i love the tagline because it's one it's a really long tagline or at least description it reads a recent article in new york newspaper reported that there were large colonies of people living under the city the paper was incorrect what is living under the city is not human chud is under the city they're not staying down there anymore <laughs> it's funny because like when you look at just like the basic premise because you're right because it almost looks like what if ninja turtles was an 80s horror movie because this is what happened with me i went into it thinking this was going to be going back to larry cohen's the stuff more along that lines like this is going to be like a weird maybe a little transgressive maybe a little problematic kind of funny just weird 80s and trash manhattan horror movie and what i got from the movie was a serious social commentary with a detective mystery going on in it as well that just so happens to have these cannibalistic monsters coming out of sewers and killing people from time to time. But like that's what I love about this movie is how serious it treats everything and how much social commentary it's actually like talking about. And the performances are all really good in this movie, yeah. like shockingly good. And it's interesting because there's a lot of people who you could argue are the main character. I guess the argument is the true protagonist is George Cooper, the, the photographer. But like Daniel Stern as the guy who runs a soup kitchen, pretty wet bandits, Daniel Stern. All. <laughs> you could argue that he is also one of the main protagonist christopher curry as the captain the police captain is just as much if not more of a protagonist than yeah george cooper is this really is like an ensemble kind of thing yeah yeah and like this is the second time i'm bringing this up james we just did on a different podcast sundown the vampire and retreat <laughs> which again listeners go check out the bruce campbell podcast we were on the sundown uh the vampire and retreat episode but that had a lot of who's the actual protagonist main character and didn't work fucking at all whereas this movie works really well with an ensemble cast and i thought that was surprising as well this is my second viewing of it in relatively recent memory second viewing was even better than the first for me i caught a lot of little details and even a little bit more bits and pieces of even social commentary than i did the first watch but yeah that's what i took out of it how about uh you aaron so this is a movie that like james i also saw very young i believe either on good old usa or sci-fi i can't remember which it is a movie that is flawed 
It is maybe one of the most flawed movies that we have covered, but it is easily the flawed movie we've covered that I love the most personally. I feel like this is one of those movies where like the premise is so much bigger than what this movie could actually deliver on that it lives in my head and there is all this world outside of the screen that exists that does not exist and in my head this movie is like so much more epic than it actually is but that magic makes me love this movie despite its flaws it's a movie that needs more of the fucking monster yeah yeah i was about to say that like that again like it just it's surprising how little they're actually on screen chud there are well it's surprising how little scares are actually in this movie right for like this being a horror movie podcast you know this is a movie that is a horror movie that is always how it's going to be categorized but it's fairly light on the horror and you never see anyone on screen like being cannibalized you always see it kind of after after the fact and the after effect is terrifying because like it's body parts fucking thrown everywhere and people's heads and shit washed up on the shore and a does the dog die.com uh fuck yeah dog (laughs) (laughs) so uh, get ready for that by the way And that was something that even as a child, I was fairly cognizant of was I can see where they're cutting around shit. There has to be a crazy, the original rated R version of this movie must be insane. I'm going to rent this one day and it's going to be the most fucking rad movie I've ever seen in my life. And then you realize, oh, the TV version of this movie is not really that different in terms of content. It just does goofy shit like, you know, they padded it out with some extra scenes of Lauren like meeting her neighbor's kids and the scene where Christopher Curry, they discover his wife's body like that was in the TV edit. The scene with the diner and John Goodman is the scene that actually ends the movie on that tv version that i saw growing up and i remember years later getting this on dvd for christmas by the way like speaking of how fucking cool my grandma is my grandmother eloise straight up because this is what i asked for and she was just like sure whatever anchor bay dvd deluxe two disc whatever bullshit version was out at the time of fucking chud and shogun assassin that was (laughs) an excellent christmas that's a good mix anyway i remember watching it and just being like wait what this movie does not end with everybody getting fucking killed at the diner that is 30 minutes earlier in the movie like what happened this is not the mm-hmm. movie i remember i was like where's all the gore where's all this stuff so some reason i had built this movie up in my head to be so much more ridiculous and epic than it actually is but i kind of appreciate it for that Part of it is just the nostalgia. Part of it is they were really trying for something and not quite reaching there. And as we've discussed many times, I will always take an ambitious mess of a movie over a movie that does everything perfectly well technically but is just fucking boring yeah this is like your lawnmower man now (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no i agree with you because you could tell there are these elements of this could be way gorier way more fucked up and transgressive than it is because you get elements of that like the scene where he discovers his wife's head and you get that brief glimpse of her decomposed head on the shore is genuinely disturbing and like probably the scariest part of this movie and like seeing kind of bits and pieces of the guys who went underground with the 
camera set on and finding out what actually happened yeah. to them and like their body parts being strewn everywhere. It's funny you mentioned that the TV edit, the end scene is the diner scene getting attacked. And one of my complaints about this movie still, and this kind of goes hand in hand with like everything you brought up, Aaron, is it just kind of ends. Yeah. We don't know what happened to the chuds. Did they all yeah. actually get wiped out? We don't know. We have no idea. Yeah. Like the bad guy dies and then like that's about it. But all those chuds that like massacred the diner are still out there and everything. And you don't know if the gas thing actually worked. And like, obviously, like the thing everyone thinks immediately, and granted, they do address it in the movie. Hey, when you start releasing the gas, what are the chuds going to want to do? They're going to want to come up to the surface to escape it. And again, you know, this is all what ifs. And like we we recently, too, we've talked about like, well, movie is a movie and like what you get is what you get. But it would be interesting if like, say they kept all of this stuff in, you know, you get that scene where like they're all like hugging each other and they've survived the bad guy attacking them. And instead of it cutting the credits, what if it then cuts the diner scene where it just maybe change the lines a little bit, have like John Good be like, man, that was that was a hell of a night, huh? Oh, we'll take our rare hamburgers and, and Cokes, which that order <laughs> as well. That's such a you order, Aaron, that I think because you're like the oh, one absolutely. who loves all the rare shit. I know it's not the second time, but what if it left on that cliffhanger of no, the diner asker happens and that's the end because like the chuds did escape and now they're like fucking out massacring people. So I find that fascinating that the TV edit ends on that because I think that it would be a better, at least cliffhanger ending for a horror movie. But I think that is maybe my biggest gripe is it just kind of ends. But I do uh, like how with them kind of cutting around stuff and it hinting at a bigger world, we do get these performances that are, are more like quieter and personal. And the movie actually focuses a lot more on the social commentary it's making, which would feels like a, a higher than what a movie should <laughs> on the surface would be. But yeah. Yeah, kind of like what you said, Aaron. One of the issues I did have is the fact that you do have literally three different versions of this movie. Yeah, the original TV version that I saw, or shit, I think every time I've seen it on TV, was the diner ending. Even to a point to a lighter degree, in the regular version, Captain Bosch lives because he gets shot and yeah. then he, he's still alive. In the TV version, it's implied that he died. Yeah. Just little stuff like that. And then the one thing which also it flips around to is the fact of, oddly enough, like you said, that's one thing that I take away as a positive watching it later, the actual regular cut. It was the fact that I watched this movie on TV back in the 80s and 90s. Except for the gore and a couple of times people saying, fuck, maybe. It's literally the same movie. You don't get those hard, what I call the 80s edits or the 90s edits, where it's like you literally have a chunk of the movie missing. Because I remember most notably, I saw that with Silver Bullet. Because I saw Silver Bullet for the first time on regular television. And there were certain things that were cut out completely. And then when I saw yeah. Silver Bullet in its regular form, I was like, oh, well, they had this and this and this. And so that's one thing I took away where I was like, all right, that's kind of cool. But then, yeah, on the flip side, you're going, well, if we compare notes and you saw it on TV and I saw the regular version, well, we didn't see the same movie ending. And yeah, it does have that. OK, well, we just went through fucking mutants that are eating people. And now we no longer have mutants that are eating people. And oh, FYI, the evil quote unquote EPA guy gets killed and that's yeah. it. Problem solved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's ultimately like where the movie loses me is, is just the way kind of it suddenly ends. But otherwise, I like this movie a ton. Like this is such a fun watch. It's 
not what you expect, but it's also what you expect at the same time, if that makes any sense. Again, I do wish there was just more Chud on screen because the creature design is actually kind of rad. It's almost like a weird like mole rat person with glowing eyes. Like I, I think that's kind of cool. But And predator blood. <laughs> and predator blood. But I mean, obviously, the, the movie has had a lasting effect, and I'll, I'll probably bring this up later. We'll bring this up in general. But I mean, it's been a reference to hell and back. It has developed yeah. a huge yep. cult following in the horror community. There's been a book I'll bring up uh, written about it. It's a really popular movie, rightfully so, because I, I again, like this movie only got better with the second watch for me. And I think it absolutely deserves to be credited up there with the 80s horror boom that was going on. Yeah, I've never really understood the criticism that the movie's only concerned with being trash entertainment rather than about these serious issues that it brings up. Oh, absolutely. No, if, I, yeah. if anything, that's the surprising part is like yeah. I was expecting it to be trash and it turned out to be way more serious than I thought. Yeah. Honestly, it has a fucking trauma title. Yeah. yeah. You're going, what the fuck? Chud. Yeah. The presentation and the name of the movie itself is just very trauma, like, B-movie. Yeah. 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 I was very surprised going back and reading old reviews from when the movie came out where everybody was just like, yeah, this movie is just here to make a quick horror buck. There's nothing more going on under the surface with this movie. <laughs> the fuck? What movie did you watch because yeah. at the end of the day let's be real if the case was let's make a sensational piece of entertainment for entertainment's sake they would have had way more monster shit way more gore deaths nudity sensationalism like there would have been way more ridiculous shit in the movie if their only aim was entertainment right yeah even the shower scene in this movie is just very matter of a fact no nudity is shown yeah. it's just woman's taking a shower because she wants to take a shower like there's it's not sexualized at all yes kim and greased is beautiful in the this movie but like it, it's just very just i'm taking a shower it's not what you expect out of a more trash horror movie of full frontal nudity yeah. and all that and kind of going back to that part of it being involved and in what derek was saying earlier about who is the actual protagonist for me and i always looked at it this way as an adult there's the base of the actual chuds so to speak but you're looking at it from three totally different perspectives and while they ultimately come together one is together from the beginning but you're looking at it through three different perspectives bosch is looking at it through being a cop his wife's missing the reverend is looking at it through being soup kitchen dude who's friends with the homeless people who live underground and then um god he's escaping me cooper cooper there you go he's looking at it through the lens no pun intended of a photographic journalist so when you look at it and then all of those things meld in, you're getting what seems more realistic to me, where we have an we have an overarching issue, but then we have three different points of view with it. And then as far as the aspect of social commentary, like you were saying, Aaron, if you look <laughs> if you're looking at the set of movies that you had back in 1985 that were horror, this is one of the ones where it's like, okay, we're actually trying to say something of value with the story to a degree to a point to where even the fucking acronym changes once you realize what's going on yeah and i forgot it did that and stood out a lot more to me in this second viewing yeah like what the acronym actually winds up meaning right and you're like okay well is chud the cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller just a cover to assuage everybody but then you have contamination hazard urban disposal which is the actual well what the fuck is going on you're dumping toxic waste underneath a 
major city. Yeah, New yeah. York City. So, yeah. Well, and it's fascinating. I didn't even consider that the three viewpoints, right? And they're all looking at the same problem because there's a lot of commentary even in there because the guy who actually cares is the soup kitchen guy, is the guy who yeah. is helping the poor. He's the ex-con. He is the one who like is actually friends with these people and wants what's best for them. He, he wants them to be taken care of. He knows something's up because he's finding like all this nuclear regulation, like equipment shit that's been left behind in his tunnels. The homeless are telling him all these problems are happening. And so like that's his goal is I want to help them. Cooper gets involved because he like you said, he he coming from the journalistic route. He doesn't necessarily want to try and figure out the Chud problem for an article, but like he was already pursuing an article that just happened to be about the city's homeless and like he kind of has befriended some of the homeless and that's how he gets yeah. involved so those paths converge unknowingly yeah okay. and then the police who largely have been ignoring the issue and like granted they were ordered to but largely they're ignoring issue and it takes the captain's wife being one of the victims to actually get any of them to be on top of the situation and i'll give credit to captain bosch once he's involved he's actually doing what a cop should be doing of like trying to figure out what the fuck's going on and it it gets to the point where he's even okay with basically like demonizing himself from his own bosses and possibly losing his job and being ruined career wise if it means like getting the truth and finding his wife. But again, like it takes the motivation for him to actually finally care about this and to put in that effort is that personal motivation of his wife. Right. It's not a problem for him until it is a problem for him. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And like there's a ton of commentary you can draw from all of that too, just in the premise setup. That's always been the argument whenever you have any marginalized groups of people who are being victimized, who are being assaulted, who are being murdered, who are being killed, disappeared, whatever, right? It doesn't matter if they are queer, people of color, older people, like the homeless people, that shit happens, right? Well, and the homeless are yeah. even more like overlooked. Yeah. They're like right? almost nobody people at this point. And ignoring those groups of people, you know, is completely the antithesis of like what your job as a public servant who is there to provide protection, you know, like what the fuck are you doing? That is literally what your job is. What are you doing? It's also interesting too, you know, we talked about the other two guys kind of coming at this from an altruistic angle. It's interesting too how every figure of authority in this movie immediately jumps to the assumption that George, AJ, and even Bosch eventually are all just nakedly kind of seeking fame and fortune. Right. Yeah. Because that's exactly right. what they, they doing. are doing. Right. Yeah. It's entirely that fucking projection of, well, of course you must be because that's totally what I'm doing. I mean, let's be real, whatever. I'm totally ladder climbing. I'm totally in this for me. I'm totally in it for this bonus or this promotion or whatever. So surely you must be only doing this for the same reason. It's, it's exactly that bullshit shit it never crosses their minds that oh you could actually just be doing this because like that's the right thing to do yeah and we see so fucking much of that nowadays especially there's just so many grifters in politics at this point more so than there probably ever have been and that's a bold statement to say if not that or they're at least being way more open about it now because they can know they can get because right. they know they can get away with it sure yeah. yeah yeah but it's just interesting that this movie that is fucking 40 years old you know still nails that on the head of oh yeah no it's it's always been like this to varying degrees or another and anytime that somebody comes forward and like actually wants to genuinely make change they're met with skepticism and doubt 
we we've seen this in every fucking aspect of life in the past couple of years just across the board from politics to covid shit to military stuff to this fucking train spill that just happened in ohio to hurricane cleanup literally fucking everything the people who were like trying to fucking get the work done are always the ones that are met with skepticism the fucking hardest well and, and to bring up a point that i just brought up during recommendations with the lawnmower man and it's the same thing that happened to me with Chud of just thinking about like how do you actually engage with people who are buying into conspiracy theory because there is a degree of truth and I think this movie also reinforces that idea of yeah a lot of the government is evil a lot of the stuff they do is evil but at the end of the day the purpose behind that evilness is way more simple and way more human than you think it is it's not this grand scheme of crazy conspiracy theory like exposing us to certain things for like these giant population control experience and it's more just a incompetence and be greed because at the end of the day the contamination hazard urban disposal is probably just the government trying to save a couple million oh instead of disposing of this toxic waste like we should be doing we could cut 10 million off the budget just by putting it underneath new york city and this is 1980s new york city that's already a trash fire so like let's just put it there because like no one gives a shit that's what the actual evil and purpose is you know it's not as crazy as you think it is it's just simple greed and like unfettered capitalism and just people not doing the right thing and that's where all this criticism's coming from too right now with the fucking train wreck they've got to take all that fucking contaminated soil and shit and do something with it and so now everybody is like cool uh we need answers what are you doing with this how are you transporting it where is it going how is it being stored we need answers to this shit and largely it's not that they're like giant conspiracy like oh god we're just gonna never tell you this was a plan all along it's more just we're taking it to area 51 and (laughs) growing new plant life to survive and yeah it really boils down more to like a we don't know b we haven't figured it out yet c we haven't figured out what's cost effective yeah yeah like that's all it boils down to for these fucking companies right d through z we have no idea who's gonna pay for it and probably wind up just being the taxpayers that we just poisoned accidentally anyway so yeah (laughs) yeah and when you look at it in various ways there's a line that i remember the evil government guy when they're talking about putting the gas in the sewer just to like try to get rid of the chuds the best way to say would be he irons out one the homeless are expendable two he's like okay well it's just we're gonna gas a this uh, area of soho what's the problem and it's like dude soho major neighborhood in new york so there's the risk that hey guess what you're going to gas the homeless you're gonna gas regular people but fuck it let's do it because we can get rid of our problem that we have yeah it wasn't soho at that time in in the 80s like a lower income part of new york city i I didn't look that up myself but i'm guessing it was also like oh well this area like is expendable too yeah more or less i know it's it's up there now it's it's been rebuilt and gentrified as fuck it's been gentrified yeah Yeah. it's the idea of we have an expendable area get rid of it let's move on i love his reasoning too they just so happen to find one chud body that happened to die from exposure to a gas leak yeah instead of put the time and effort into like let's think of a plan to actually deal with this problem jumps straight to like let's gas the entirety of the new york subway system yeah. and sewer system and then hope for the best yeah. hopefully no one lights a match anywhere near a sewer and blows up soho yeah pretty much 
And it, it goes into that. It goes into the fact of even putting it in contemporary context, there are ways that they were able to get around the problem. Because there's no social media back then, there's no camera phones, there's no anything else. Yeah. When you put it into that perspective, then yeah. They hadn't even gotten the bodies from the guys that they sent down there with the cameras. Exactly. They didn't even clean that up, and that's their own people. I'd also like to add, this would be the second film that I can think of where uh, major metropolitan police departments have flamethrowers readily available, the other being Night of the Creeps. <laughs> yeah. <And> it's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, to take a step back, what's also scary about the idea idea that oh we can just do this this is just the plan we came up with on the fly we're shown that wilson he's the nuclear nuclear regulatory commission stooge right we then learn that oh wait you're not really even representing them you're kind of also then covering up this other dumb contract project bullshit that the government's tangentially involved in and you're just trying to cover your ass blah 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 he's a fixer yeah cooper shepherd yeah. bosch even says you're just the government's trash man basically yeah so what is scary about that if we're talking like real life fears and shit these kinds of people are all throughout the government they're all throughout the government and they're just appointed there's no election process there's no we the people get to decide who the best candidates are for this position it's a ton of nepotism and cronyism it's a ton of good old boy network especially in all the southern states (laughs) from mississippi everything in that fucking state is good old boy system all the way down and it's fucking rotten to the core louisiana yeah exactly right so you know what's scary is dudes like this this guy apparently has the ability to say i want to flood all of the new york underground with gas to like suffocate these monsters that are under there side effects uh potential hazards problems that can arise from this we'll figure it out whatever just do what i'm telling you to do and do it now and this guy is just an appointed official right who is he accountable to what's his education has he yeah. <laughs> has he worked with contaminants at all clearly not <laughs> yeah clearly not <laughs> no. you know the funny thing about gas is that it tends to like spill out of every fucking crack and opening that it possibly can so you know that good old airtight new york underground is totally going to keep all that gas in. Yeah, yeah. let's just put a couple cars over like six manholes and we'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. So we know that this is like some real life scary shit. Frankly, the government has always been bad about this. Every admin has been bad about this. But think about how fucking insane it was day to day with the Trump administration. Yeah. Just every single day, some head from some group is fucking kicked out the door and the guy that runs fucking trumpbear.com is put in charge of that regulatory agency you know like across the entire government that was the case was who donated $150,000 to the Trump campaign and won't quit sucking his dick on social network cool you now are the appointed head of a government agency. Or the Secretary of State. <laughs> yeah, like any of these positions, right? Uh, fucking Betsy DeVos as the Secretary of Education. What 
in the fuck, right? Yeah. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's wild just being two years post that nonsense and things kind of slowly getting back to normal and actual skilled, competent, and like qualified for the job people slowly getting put back in these positions where they need to be running shit. It's wild just the fact that because the world's not as on fire as it used to be, we just forget about how heinous it was. But, like, that's something that happened. And this movie 100% plays on the fact because Wilson in this movie does nothing but fucking deny, distort, power trip, and fucking obfuscate everything. You know, anybody that comes to him with witness testimony, here's fucking photographs, here's hard evidence here's a monster yeah here's the monster <laughs> here's the dead body of a monster and then he jumps to the conclusion like oh well surely that was the, the only, only one. one. Oh yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so like that level of just fucking arrogance and incompetence is one of those things that irks me to no end in real life we are trying to ask you to vote yes on the green new deal oh, okay i'll tell you what you know what's interesting about this group is I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. You come in here and you say it has to be my way or the highway. I don't respond to that. I've gotten elected. I just ran. I was elected by almost a million vote plurality. And I know what I'm doing. So, you know, maybe people should listen a little bit. I have seven grandchildren. I understand it very well. Senator, the cost of not taking this action is far higher than the cost of what the Green New Deal will be. And there is enormous popularity for this bill around the whole country. And we're asking you to be brave and do this for us and for your grandchildren. Well, you know better than I do. So I think one day you should run for the Senate. Great. And I then you do it your way. And then seeing that in the movie, it's always the best fucking villain types that are this kind of character, right? Like Derek, you and I joke about this all the time in the show. Like, how often do we talk about how much we love the shady '80s corporation douchebag where? Yeah. It's just all these fucking people making the wrong decisions. It's basically just Robocop. It's OCP. (laughs) Any cyberpunk villainous organization you can think of, I'll, I'll eat that shit up every time. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, the fucking monsters, they're cool. I really do love the design of the chud monsters in this. I wish that there were more. I guess let me step back. Hey, there was never supposed to be a monster, if you didn't know this. Uh, It was literally just supposed to be all the homeless people done up to look more zombie-ish. And become like cannibalistic. And have sharp teeth like we see the one guy kind of turn around and look like. The entire monster angle was just brought in by one of the producers who was like, let's make a monster movie. Okay, cool. We don't have the budget for that. I will figure it out. (laughs) Well, I I think it's better for it because if they just did that cannibalistic route, it would just be another zombie movie. Right. Right? It really would be. And so that's the caveat is, God, I wish this movie had more monsters. But we know why. We know why we really only see, like, close-ups of the head and then the fucking arms, you know, sticking out and the arms knocking things over and the arms lifting up manholes and stuff like that. When you get that (laughs) one that finally appears in front of Lauren Daniels. The neck. Yeah, like, it stretches its (laughs) neck. It's doing all this crazy shit. 
and they're really like <laughs> using the budget for this one. And it, of course, they have Chekhov's sword collection that they, like they <laughs> yeah. show in the of their apartment. Chekhov's mall ninja extravaganza. Yeah, yeah, and and she uses one of the swords to behead it. But that whole scene with it stalking her is pretty great because like that's really the only time you've really see a chud in action besides like them like running up to the diner window yeah. and like being all menacing because every other time is just them like popping up and then people scream yeah but it's clearly like oh y'all had one mask you had one set of arms yeah, yeah. let's make it work with this one scene <laughs> yeah, yeah you shot multiple angles with slightly different clothes on and made it look like there's a bunch of like it was interesting how they utilized it in this movie and it, like i said i love the design i like the glowing eyes i like the weird fucking teeth and everything i just wish that there was maybe more of that right yeah and, and talk about like tonal whiplash low budget kind of this is where it is a little bit of a mess before the creature attacks her when she is taking a shower in the shower cloth she takes a coat hanger to unclog the drain and <laughs> yeah. she hits what I'm guessing is a chud and blood sprays out everywhere all over her, and she like kind of no sells that like there's not she doesn't scream she doesn't really react and then like the next scene is like her drying off looking at the news about what happened at the diner before the chud comes and attacks her that whole scene is like did you need that? part like, uh, oh yeah it's new york it's a rat we're good <laughs> yeah just a blood bomb rat <laughs> <laughs> coated her in rat blood but uh it makes a lot more sense when you read back and you see that the budget of this movie was just over a million dollars it does feel like a movie that is more than its budget but I think part of why it feels that way is you're right, Aaron, like they have to do those tricks and cut around the monster. And there yeah. probably really was only one monster prop that they could really use. And that's why we, we get that one scene. And there's definitely moments like, you know, you can tell that the diner scene was probably like a reshoot with let's just add this on at the very last minute kind of thing because it's completely isolated. You don't see those characters anywhere else in the movie. We never go to that fucking diner beforehand. Yeah, yeah. that's why I think it would have worked as like an actual cliffhanger ending yeah of like no the chuds didn't survive they came out of sewer and killed the steiner but and but we did get a good like john goodman being a nypd stinker hitting on the diner waitress and it's not it's not all for loss <laughs> yeah other thing i do appreciate about this movie is this has a really fucking deep cast of character actors yes and people yes. that would appear in other things later that you're just like wait what huh so we've been talking about john goodman because he's obviously the standout i don't have to talk about what all fucking john goodman's been in at this point if you don't know who john goodman is like get the fuck out but a couple of other people so jc quinn and john bedford lloyd are two that guy actors they were both in stuff like maximum overdrive and the abyss and the prophecy jay thomas is the other cop with john goodman in that diner scene yeah he was and he's like a fucking tv staple who's been in like a ton of shit over the years one of the ad execs is fucking patricia richardson from christmas evil but most well known as the fucking mom from home improvement uh. the newscaster is fucking john polito and he is one of those that guy actors that everybody fucking knows he's the short squat italian guy with a little thin mustache who's always fucking screaming at people you think that i'm some guinea fresh off the boat and you can kick me but i'm too big for that now i'm sick I'm taking a strap from you, Leo. I'm sick of marching into this goddamn office to kiss your Irish ass. And I'm sick of the high hat. He's in Highlander, Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, The Rocketeer, The Crow. Looking him up, he voices Commissioner Loeb in a lot of Batman-related shit. 
Frankie Faison is Sergeant Parker. He's like the SWAT, the SWAT dude team with the flamethrower yeah. that's dead. And like, you never really even see his face because he's got like the fucking mask and everything on. But that's like fucking Frankie Faison from The Wire and all the like Hannibal Lecter movies, right? He plays Barney. He's also in Maximum Overdrive, which also too, there is so much cast crossover within this so he's in manhunter which kim greased is also like that's one of her only other roles of note he is also in maximum overdrive he is also in cat people with john hurd he's in do the right thing coming to america like he's been in a ton of shit uh sam mcmurray the guy that plays officer crispy he's the kind of dipshit officer who's like yeah I'll go check him out whatever blah 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 oh, i didn't do it captain whatever that guy always kind of plays a shit ball. He is in Christmas Vacation, Tracy Ullman's show, Adam's Family Values. I fucking love him in Raising Arizona. He shows up as Nick Cage's boss. Oh, it's Glenn. <laughs> they like invite him and his wife and their kids over to their trailer to like have a picnic. And his wife, by the way, is Francis McDormand. Francis McDormand, right? But it's just this fucking weird dipshit boss who's constantly just like Mordecai, put that diaper back <laughs> on your sister. But like I'm saying, how'd you get the kid? Well, this whole thing is just who knows who. Yeah, Ed has a friend at one of the agencies. Maybe she can do something for me and Dot. See, there's something wrong with my semen. Say, that reminds me. What you gonna name it? Ed. Ed Jr. Yeah, that's a good one. See, I don't even need another kid, but Dot says he's here getting too big to cuddle. Say, that reminds me. Mind you don't cut yourself, Mordecai. <laughs> oh yeah that's Clyde he's the fucking smart one and it just pans over this kid's wrote fart on the walls just <laughs> and he's throwing <laughs> that guy always just plays such a fucking dipshit yeah love that dude he also has done a fucking ton of voice work and Batman animated shit to keep going back to this fucking trope in our show he's on Batman the animated series the new Batman adventures Batman Beyond Batman Beyond the movie Batman the Dark Knight Returns like he's on so much Batman shit George Martin that played Wilson he was in stuff like Dead Poet Society Awakenings Leon the Professional Quiz Show also kind of just plays like a weird corporate upset fat angry sweaty boss guy and everything Kim Grease like we mentioned this was her debut movie really I was gonna say this is before Brazil yes Brazil wow. was after this so she did this Brazil Manhunter and then she was on an episode of Monsters which James you and I were talking yeah. about before we started recording and then she kind of just falls into mom mode she's in the fucking Homeward Bound movies but then she retires in like 2000 and has just been retired you look her up on Wikipedia now it just says she's retired and that's it it gives no other real details well and the other wild thing with her being in shut is that's her first acting gig period according to like her filmography like yeah she wasn't in an episode of miami vice till 85 and chud was 84 which that's another one dude fucking 90 percent of this What's cast miami vice? has been on miami vice more than i've seen in any other 80s tv show where like oh everybody was on 30 something everybody was on hill street blues you know whatever no most of this cast was on fucking miami 
Miami Vice at some point or another. So the reason why it was surprising to me is like she feels like an experienced actress in this movie to me. That's why I'm kind of surprised that this was her first gig. So I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these people came from theater. So this was also Christopher Curry's first movie. He had been on two really? or three episodes of some TV shows, but this was his first movie and he seems totally fucking dialed in. Yeah, yeah I was going to say he seems like he's just always played a detective. I thought he had been in acting for a few years before this. Yeah, and he kind of sort of does go on to just do that, but he's in other stuff like he's in the comedy Bushwhacked with Daniel Stern. He's in Starship Troopers. He's in, again, weirdly enough, he's in Home Alone 3, where obviously Daniel Stern and John Hurd are probably most known now for being in Home Alone 1 and 2. And he's in Red Dragon, again, where Frankie Faison is playing Barney. There's so much fucking crossover. The actress that played his wife in the opening scene, remember she's walking the dog in the alleyway Mm -hmm. and then gets attacked by the chuds, right? Lori Meadows. That's Daniel Stern's real life wife. I don't know if she was just there that day, but that's her only acting credit, you know? So I don't know if it was just like, a, oh, she's just here. The other person didn't show up. You want to be in the movie? Sure. Why not? I don't know. Well, and at this time, Daniel Stern had been an actor, right? Yes. He was in Blue Thunder by that point. Yeah. And yeah. Diner too, as well, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. His first major role was Breaking Away. He was also in Stardust Memories. Diner, Blue Thunder, Frankenweenie, he's the dad in that. (laughs) So most of the budget probably went to having him be one of the stars. I would imagine him and John Hurd, because they were both big stars by this point. Yeah, Daniel Stern's also in Leviathan, City Slickers, obviously the Home Alone movies. He's the fucking narrator of the Wonder Years. We all remember him from Rookie of the Year. That was like a huge movie when we were all growing up. And then John Hurd, yeah, fucking Chilly Scenes of Winter, excellent. Cutter's Way, excellent. Cat People, again, fucking wild swings here. After Hours with Scorsese, Big, he's kind of the corporate douchebag boyfriend in that. Beaches, The Pelican Brief, 187, fucking Snake Eyes, Pollock, Oh, like he's had a crazy career. But looking at everybody in this, they are all working actors for sure. You know, like everybody in this cast is, oh yeah, no, we've been in a million fucking things. We all take our work seriously and we all have crazy varied careers, you know? So like the the cast of this is also super special compared to like so many other of these low budget horror and sci-fi movies around this time where you would maybe have like one or two notable stars and that's it. Fucking unnamed characters in this movie go on to have huge careers later down the road. John Goodman. (laughs) So it's just wild to me that they happened to get all these people together for this, which that then kind of gets me into like the production of this. So guess what? Uh, Who the fuck is Douglas Cheek, right? So this is like his only movie. I'll take it back. It's not his only movie, but it it was really his only movie. Yeah, he he didn't really do anything else. Yeah, and then he transitioned into being an editor, and he was editing like TV doc specials, like Ancient Alien shit and Gettysburg documentaries and shit like that, like a lot of weird Canadian A and E and History Channel shit. And then he has one more theatrical movie called Claustrophobia from 2011 that also has Christopher Curry in 
in it. That seems like the most, I like shot this at my house, etc. kind of movie. But like, that's it. Douglas Cheek made Chud and nothing else of note. <laughs> and I found no background on like, what was he doing leading up to this? Because his only credit before this was one episode of Playhouse TV from 1975. Like, wow. what the fuck, dude? What do you, who is this guy? Was he a director for hire or something, maybe? I have no idea. And I couldn't really find any information on it either. The guy who gets the story by credit, Shepard Abbott, zero fucking info on him. <laughs> he has no other credits to his name. And then the guy who gets the screenplay credit, which this is his only screenplay, Parnell Hall. He's like he a, a writer, mystery writer. And he's a mystery novel writer who writes those weird mystery novels that you see at like a Dollar Tree. Yeah. <laughs> where you're just like, yeah. what is this, right? I, I looked it up. He writes the Puzzle Lady Mysteries. Wow. <laughs> yes. He literally writes these puzzle books where you do a crossword or a Sudoku and the clues all tell you a story. That's the kind of shit this guy writes. But he wrote Chud? Yeah. What is this, right? Hey, by the way, the dude was writing these dollar store detective novels. The last Puzzle Lady mystery was back in 2019 and dude died yeah. in 2020. So, like, yeah. he was doing it all the way until the end uh, and he wrote fucking Chud. So that's the wild <laughs> thing is I found very, very little information on the making of this movie. I even listened to a commentary that had John Hurd and Daniel Stern and they mostly just sat around talking shit about the movie. They didn't really talk about process or like, oh, we did this X, Y, Z or whatever. It was really strange like how little I found about this movie in terms of its making, how they were inspired to make this, where they shot, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, Roger Corman's New World Pictures picked this up. It came out in August of 84. It grossed $4.7 million on its one and a quarter million budget. So, I mean, it made money. But like you were saying earlier, Jack, and I'll let you take over from here. Despite not being that well received upon its release it's kind of become this cult hit you know it became a cult hit pretty quickly and it was referenced constantly you know so Derek you kind of mentioned you had some like stuff where this movie had been referenced previously so run through that stuff yeah so like I saw that the legacy of this movie is pretty insane because there were references to it and even just straight up homages to it and like that have been in the Simpsons yeah I remember the one for the Simpsons (laughs) yeah the CW's The Flash Aqua Teen Hunger Force Clerks 2 Castle Archer Futurama Pushing Daisies Outer Banks Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I I do remember this when I read it, and this was also another like childhood memory unlocked. Back in Tony Hawk's Underground from the Tony Hawk video game series, there was a character named Thud that was based off of Chud. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I still haven't seen Us yet, but more recently in 2019, Jordan Peele's Us, there's a VHS copy of Chud directly in the opening shot of the movie. The main character as a child, she's watching Us Across America on TV. And yeah, there's like a VHS copy of Chud right there, which being a fan of the film when I saw it in the movies, it, it kind of went, oh shit, Chud. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. That was kind of the first immediate clue of, okay, this is what we're getting into? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. I even saw that back in, uh, or yeah, 2021, there was a found footage movie that the guitarist from the band, The Lucid. Oh, yeah, yeah, Wrote, yeah. directed, and starred in, and it's called Dwellers, and it's a found footage movie, and he basically said outright that Chud is like a direct influence on that movie. I actually 
actually have that in my watch list and I haven't gotten around to it. And I remember when yeah. I was reading it, I was like, what the fuck is this? this is contemporary chud? Yeah. As we've recorded, I literally put this in a cart and bought it. I saw that back in 2018, there was a anthology book called Chud Lives, a tribute anthology that was released that has an interview with the late Chud movie producer, Andrew Bon Bonine or Bonime. I think it's Bonheim. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Or Bonami. I don't know. Uh, interview with horror author Eric S. Brown that he did with the Chud screenwriter that we talked about just now. And then there are 19 stories set in the universe of Chud contributed by like a bunch of random fans of the Chud movie. So I went ahead and instantly bought it. It was less than 20 bucks for the paperback. So there's a, a legacy, obviously, with a lot of horror fans and just kind of nerds in general. Because like if you think about the, that list of references I made, Simpsons. Futurama, Archer, Clerks 2. Yeah, like, it's stuff it's, from all it, over. It's all over, yeah. Thank you, Derek. I just put it in my Kindle. Four ninety nine. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I uh, I'm kind of finding I like these anthologies. I'm finding there's actually a lot of like anthologies about cult classic horror movies. And I brought up one back on our episode hundred with Patrick Bromley from F This Movie Podcast. Go check that out. That was all about all the unused screenplays for all the sequels to the Halloween movies. They actually do like plot synopsis run throughs of all the unused screenplays, and then they get into like why they didn't choose that script or what fell through or blah 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 and then they usually interview the writer of each script and it's fascinating stuff but, but yeah so like i i really dig these horror anthologies and i love that there's one all about chud more recently aaron i i don't know if or aaron and james i don't know if you saw this but there was talk for a while about a remake rob zombie at one point was kind of attached to it yeah. i remember when they announced that I think it happened before his Halloween came out, and so nobody had seen it yet. There was all this like, oh, fuck, Halloween must be amazing if they're giving him chud. And then Halloween came out and got kind of mixed reviews, and I think that's kind of where maybe it like fell apart the year after, because immediately yeah. in 2008, the next year, they announced like a completely different remake. Yeah, and then it's just been in development hell since then. But this is one like, you know, I am definitely of the opinion, and we've brought this up on the show before. Don't remake Jaws. I don't need that. No. Fuck off. Yeah. Don't remake Poltergeist. Fuck off. I love Monster House, Gil Kinnon. Poltergeist sucks. Chud is perfect. Chud is like the exact thing that you want to do a remake of because there is so fucking much potential in the story and there's so many directions you can take it in. There are so many ways that you can easily modernize it. You can do a complete remake if you want. You could fucking do a legacy sequel. You could do so much with the idea of Chud that I think it 100% warrants going back to. I think a lot of the like unfulfilled, you know, maybe imagined promises like we were talking about earlier, like we all had these kind of ideas in our head as kids of what, you know, was all going on actually with Chud. You could bring so much of that shit to life pretty easily nowadays and it's not like you know the 80s context of it is just gone and not there anymore right like if anything this movie is now more relevant even more relevant right? <laughs> yeah. we keep running into that unfortunately significantly more relevant now <laughs> more relevant now than ever before yeah yeah so like this is one where i so fucking wish somebody would go back and take another stab at it this is the perfect setup for somebody to like really take this ball and run it all the way in other things Thing real quick too i don't know if 
Derek, if you mentioned this or not, but uh, Criterion Collection, for those who don't know. No, I didn't mention this. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> is like a fancy boutique Blu-ray label. They specialize in like foreign art house classic stuff. Yeah, they specialize in what we covered on with Eyes Without a Face and cinema. Yeah. yeah. I'm Martin Scorsese, and this is... Yeah, Eyes Without a Face is a Criterion movie, right? Yeah. George Romero's Night of the Living Dead is a Criterion release, right? Persona is a Criterion movie, yeah. In 2011, as part of an April Fool's Day prank, they announced that they were putting out Blu-ray collector's editions, director-approved versions of both Chud and Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> and they even had their own Criterion-style artistic artwork, you know, for the release. The Kindergarten Cop artwork is, like, so fucking good. But, yeah. I just remember like everybody being like, oh, of course, this is April Fool's. You're not even good at playing this game off. But man, a Criterion release of Chud would kind of be hilarious. As it stands <laughs> right now, there is actually an Arrow Blu-ray that they originally released in 2016. And it went out of print, but was so fucking in demand that they actually re-released it in 2021. And like we mentioned, you can stream this on to be prime it's been on Everything. and off shutter yeah. I mean, you can get it anywhere so yeah i mean at this point nobody really has an excuse to not watch this necessarily again i don't necessarily buy that this movie is boring i just think it definitely doesn't reach its lofty goals that it sets for itself but i, I think that there is a lot going on with the movie so I'm, I'm very glad that we're discussing it and that james brought this up as what he wanted to cover and, and to be fair to it i think the movie is also aware of that as well which is why it's impressive that even just them like solving the mystery going underground talking to uh the homeless that live underground all that's still interesting the movie opens smartly it gives you the monster attack right up top so you're engaged and you like oh fuck what was that how did it become the thing and so even when you're not seeing the monster for a long time on screen you still know the monster is there and you kind of want to know like what happened how did we get there yeah and I, i like that the movie doesn't over explain where the what the chud is it's just literally like government was lazy wanted to cut costs, dumped all this toxic waste in the sewers of New York City, and they found that like long-term exposure turns them into these cannibalistic chud monsters. That's it. That's all you need. Yep. There's no like person pausing the movie to explain to you all these things. Right. It, it's kind of like what you said before about the aspect of the conspiracy theory. It's cut and dry. There's a conspiracy in terms of a criminal act, but there's not like this, oh shit, well, where did they come from? Are they aliens? Are this and the other? Are they? It's like, no, they just yeah. dumped shit that had mutagenic properties and turned people into damn creatures. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One last thing I'll bring up that I found was interesting because the first time I watched, it didn't really stick out to me and it still got more this watch. I still don't know if I would agree with this. I just haven't seen enough horror to like really make this case. And it, it's referenced on the Wikipedia article too. But back, I think in like 2018 or 2019, Rolling Stone put out a uh, 35 greatest horror soundtracks list. Chud is like number 33 on this list. Yeah, it's got a pretty decent score. Martin Cooper's score for it is 33 on the list, which I found fascinating. I do think that the soundtrack did stick out for me a lot more this watch than it did the first time. Yeah. Funny you say that because I've gotten into YouTube music as one of my music streaming platforms and I've literally made a horror playlist because, you know, that's the type of shit I do. 
And I was able to find the Chud soundtrack on there. And there's basically the main theme and then a couple other ones that I just have on that list. And I was like, holy fuck, Chud soundtrack. This is awesome. It's a horror soundtrack. Yeah. There's no other way around it. It's not, you know, super orchestrated, semi-depressing, but, you know, there's a ominous quality to it. It's like, there's no shit. It's a synthesized 80s horror soundtrack. Yeah, it's a typical 80s horror. And uh, I will say, this is a little bit of a knock against this Rolling Stone list. They listed right underneath Chud at 34, uh, Fabio Frizzi, Zombie 2. I think that needs to be way higher on this yeah, list. Yeah, that, that needs to be <laughs> I do think Chud is not at all anywhere near the quality of Zombie 2 soundtrack, but you know it is interesting that it was at least listed on here. I thought that was fascinating. So, last thing I'll bring up real quick. I watched part of this years ago, did not finish it, so I figured I needed to rectify that mistake. I watched Chud 2 colon <laughs> Bud the Chud from 1989. Eat him up! Eat him up! No, no, no! These are Chud's cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers prepare for horror laughs and thrills in this outrageous sequel to the home video hit chud chud 2 but the chud starring brian robbins from head of the class garrett graham of police academy 6 robert vaughn bianca jagger larry linville of match and many other popular stars a dead body is nothing to be afraid of he's suave he heterosexual <laughs> he's charming He's different. Well, he eats people. I guess that could be interpreted as personality quirk. He's Bud the Chud, a half-dead decomposing humanoid, the result of a military experiment gone haywire. Colonel Masters, there was a reason that these creatures were kept underground. For instance, the little matter of the drug's cannibalistic side effects. Now he's loose on the town, spreading the horrifying chud disease everywhere <laughs> what in the wide world of sports is going on in here we're not just talking about some animated corpse you got it everything it infects mutates the army the police and the fbi can't seem to stop this ravenous plague but a group of clever kids might just chill the chuds Unreal. Chud 2. This Chud's for you. Jesus. This is going to be all you and James on this part, because I, I have not watched it yet. So James and Aaron, yeah. go off Kings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was directed by David Irving. It stars Robert Vaughn. And then the titular Bud the Chud 
is played by Garrett Graham from yes. Phantom of the Paradise, Used Cars, Child's Play 2, Terror Vision, Chopping Mall. Like he was in a bunch of fun horror stuff from the 80s. So people would probably recognize him. This is one of the most insane non sequitur sequels I've seen to anything ever. This was equal parts Weekend at Bernie's, yeah. Night of the Creeps, Weird Science, and all garbage. This fucking movie is it's it's bad people want to talk about how chud is bad and that chud is boring god chud is so bad no you've not seen chud 2 bud the chud where literally garrett graham is this soldier who is exposed to the chud virus serum whatever the government is now trying to create an undead unkillable soldier and Robert Vaughn is like the main military commander in charge of that program. Garrett Graham is the one undead soldier who gets oops body swapped by like some teenage boys who are going to like get a dead body for a science experiment. He wakes up and starts eating the family dog, the neighbors, right? And turning them all into chuds. He attacks somebody and then from off camera, you just hear like an apple crunch yeah like you're the person screaming and then it's literally just like What the and fuck? then <laughs> the next scene, they show up also chudified. And again, not the monster chud from the first movie. No, 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 no. That costs too much. There are no monster chuds in this. This is literally just them wearing gray kind of undead face makeup. And then they all have fake pointy teeth in. They end up, you know, taking over the whole town, a.k.a. There's like eight people that are all done up like chuds. They end up getting them all gremlin style at the high school pool and freezing them because apparently you can freeze them with just a fire extinguisher and then electrifying them. And that somehow like makes them explode. And when I say explode, it's also like vampire style explode where they have beams of light shooting out of their bodies and then they explode. Yeah, this movie's not good. It's the most slapsticky, weird, goofy, literal fucking Looney Tunes bonk and like whoop 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 noises in it. The entire soundtrack is every 80s comedy. Zany. Ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ah, we're chuds. <laughs> like that kind of bullshit for the entire fucking movie. It seriously is just Bud the Chud. Bud the Chud. Like, it's fucking Now you're making awful. me want to watch it. Uh, well, <laughs> it's online. You can find it. I think it's also on Tubi. I'm not going to watch it. Oh, you have to. <laughs> I'm not going to watch it. Anyway, yeah, it's terrible. Again, it's a lot of the reason why Like, I feel like this movie deserves a proper remake or legacy or just something to continue the story on because guess what this is the exact example of like how to not 
continue the story. This does <laughs> yeah. everything wrong. It seems like this was completely a script that was written that was like a zombie movie script. And then New World Pictures was like, oops, we have Chud as a title. I guess let's just do that. And they just slapped the branding onto that movie after they dusted that script off. But this does not feel like a continuation to Chud in any way, shape, or form. James, you're not a fan? <laughs> eh, fuck. It's... I can even say how I came across that one. And I was much older. It was after the point where I had watched the original Chud as a teenager. And then that's when I was like, oh shit, this is actually deeper than what I remember. There was a new video store... I distinctly fucking remember this because it's traumatic memory. <laughs> New video store. I found Chud 2 and I was like, Bud the Chud. And I was like, oh shit, I have to rent this. So I rent it and I watch it and immediately I'm like, yeah, like Aaron said, the opening titles had the Apple Crunch sound. And that's when I was like, what the fuck yeah. am I watching right now? And I continued to watch it and I was like, this shit is sad. It hurts. Not like, oh shit, you know, you just poisoned Chud and this. I was like, no, this movie just sucks. Absolute yeah. ass. It's a perfect example, too, of fucking false advertising because oh, yes. you literally see multiple Chud monsters on the box with their eyes glowing. Coming out of the sewer. Not a single thing and nothing, nothing, none of that. The best way I can describe it, because I've said this about uh, Halloween 5, is that looking at Halloween 5, I never considered it a Halloween movie. Might sound weird to say. Interesting. So I considered it a movie they made, a slasher movie they made, and they were just like, okay, fuck it. Let's make it Halloween. Let's add Michael Myers. Let's have Jamie come back. Yeah. Let's do this, that, and the other because of the way I viewed how Halloween 4 ended. It was like, okay, this ended one way. And now you're erasing that to a degree, and you have Halloween 5, which... Oh, you're preaching the choir. I hate Halloween 5 yeah, so much. It's like, it's about something else. And that's the way yeah. Bud the Chud was. Because I don't even fucking call it Chud 2. I just call it Bud the Chud. <laughs> I was watching it, and again, one of those ones where... I call it deployment rewatch. <laughs> I was in either in Iraq or Afghanistan. We had a movie server. Everybody had movies. And I was like, oh yeah, hey, Bud the Chud, let me watch it. So maybe it's better than what I thought it was. It was like, no, this shit sucks. You're trapped in the desert, then you yeah. put on Bud the Chud, then you're just more pissed. Yeah, actually, Aaron, you hit on it, and I didn't even think about it until then. It's like just an assed version of Night of the Creeps. <laughs> it really does feel that way. <laughs> it's like these two high school best friends. One of them's kind of the cool guy, and one of them's like the nerdy guy, and the girlfriend of their group. And it's just them with this fucking doofy Garrett Graham zombie guy running around, you know, stumbles into an alleyway. You just hear the apple crunch noise. And then he stumbles out wearing the fucking cool suit that the guy was wearing that, you know, he fucking ate that kind of nonsense. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have to look up the soundtrack at least for the bud, the chud, do, 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 do. It's fucking bad. It, it is nonsense. <laughs> it's angrily <laughs> fucking bad. Yeah. Actually, and, and I just thought about it. It is fucking Troll 2, just not as bad as Troll 2. <laughs> yeah, it feels like that. That's the best way I can come about it. Because <laughs> has nothing to do with trolls. Has nothing to do with <laughs> trolls. Yeah. yeah, you know, they're in fucking Nilbog. Yeah, that was Bud the Chud. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, uh, I think that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast. 
James, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Very much appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad that we talked about this movie because, again, I didn't figure any guest would ever come on and be like, yo, I want to do Chud. But no, I had a great time revisiting this. And I think there's, again, a lot to lot to talk about. And I think it reinforces for me too the second watch that I don't think this movie is boring. I don't get that criticism at all. Yeah. It's a mess of a movie, but more of the mess is really just because it was kneecapped by its budget yeah and really that's the only problem but yeah definitely appreciate you coming on always do you have anything you want to plug and i guess where can people find you well you can find me on facebook under james hales <laughs> but yeah any place where that is right now and i'm actually in the process of trying to create another facebook page and probably do something where i finally get on instagram with it for an actual horror page so nice trying to work on that but between you know doing everything in life going slowly but surely so i will pop that up at some point and then uh, go from there hell yeah you can find us at all the podcatchers apple spotify etc please continue to rate and review us especially on spotify apple pod chaser rather and good pods um that's where we've gotten most of our reviews from so thank you for doing that please continue to rate us five stars please and you can follow us along there as well you we are on twitter and facebook at watch if you dare for our socials linked at the top of our social pages is a spotify music playlist that is just full of stuff that's inspired by horror in general be it direct movie soundtrack tracks or just artists and bands and tracks that are just kind of horror related in general um i added a few weird al tracks actually that seemed pretty relevant Dude actually sings a lot more about murder than I thought he would in a lot of his <laughs> original songs. And uh, shout out to your little brother, Jesse Mansfield, for the bumps at the beginning and the end of each episode. Um, you can find his music on Bandcamp at Party Gator, Big Clown, Awesomes, a bunch of other um, musical projects. Once again, kind of keep an eye out for our Patreon page. Be sure to check our Twitter, check our Facebook. Um, that's where we'll be uh, posting news about that the most. Otherwise, I think that's it. Aaron, do you have anything else? Nah, I don't know. I don't really have a great idea. Wait, hold on. I just got a news alert on my phone that running around in D.C. right now, there is a wild pack of, what is this? sanguinistic aggressive liver licking yetis i don't what is sally's what is this <laughs> they're t- talking about running around murdering and eating people god damn it great fun times all right well i guess that's what i'm dealing with for the next week nice. so hope you guys have a good time good ending a plus <laughs>